Hey friends, before we start the show, I need to announce our next batch of root winners from our Instagram contest. For the digital copy, it's at cat isn't French, and for the physical copy, it's at Professor Puffins. These are two fantastic screen names and two fantastic winners. For those of you that did not get a chance to win, we will have future contests. Please follow Good Time Society on all social media platforms for more information. All right, on to the show. So we were saying, <clears throat> yeah, on Jake, the back... have you ever been a part of a cult? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I grew up Catholic, so the biggest cult. Yeah. Okay, Jake. <laughs> we ate the transubstantiated body of Christ. People in outfits with large hats would chant. I mean, that's that's fairly cultish, right? Yeah. We have a nation state. <laughs> and I say we, I am not a Catholic anymore, so. Uh, but I never formally resigned, so I guess I'm probably on the books somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I also grew up Catholic, Jake, and uh, do you remember mm-hmm. all those times when um as like, you know, part of the ceremony, you just like leave the church with you know, part of a procession, walk over, find a house, raise it to the ground and then just plant a garden in its place. Uh, oh, like a Protestant house, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, I don't think there are like competing religions in the woodland. This seems to be the only kind of faith-based faction um, believing in a dragon god, which we never see materialize. Yeah. So I feel like it's just mostly there's multiple uh, meetings that everybody needs to go to throughout the week between the woodland alliance, uh, the corvid conspiracy, <laughs> and the lizard cult. That yeah. yeah, it's not multiple religions so much as multiple obligations, and you can't do all of them in a week. <laughs> oh my gosh, the de- the denizens Google Cal is just <laughs> filled. Yeah, I think this this is definitely opening the door for some kind of like administrative faction. You know, for like <laughs> the bear bureaucrats, the bureaucrats. <laughs> they just run everybody's schedule and, and move them around the clearings without their permission. <laughs> A race of peaceful bears whose turns take a thousand years. <laughs> Sorry, you've reached clearing capacity. I need three people to leave. You score a point every time you catch someone making a rules mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of like interesting rules choices, we were talking about the levels that occur on the back of every faction board, which includes, what is it, difficulty, aggression. What are the other two? Ease of- Card wealth. Cardwell. There's another and one. Crafting ability. Crafting ability. And we were talking specifically about aggression in that lizards, surprisingly to you, Sam, are listed as moderately aggressive, right? Y- yeah, I think that's pretty surprising given the fact that they don't have move or battle on their faction board. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think that would be aggressive. And I, I hear everybody screaming at their podcast right now. I can hear you. You're First saying. Off, stop screaming at the podcast. That's yeah, helping you guys, no one. No one understands how podcasts work. I can talk to you. I can't hear you. All right. Um, so uh, obviously the lizards can do aggressive things like convert enemy warriors or sanctify their buildings. But to call them moderately aggressive is weird. And then so we're like, okay, well, what are the other moderate, uh, you know, aggressive factions? And it turns out it's all of them except for two. <laughs> The birds are high aggression, which makes some kind of sense. They, a lot of them have to battle every turn. Mm-hmm. And then the low aggression faction is the River Folk Company. 
I, that makes sense to me. Yeah, they're the nicest faction in the whole woodland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're moving and battling economy is like some of the best. Yeah, but they're not always incentivized to use it, are they? Mainly because they want to keep otters on the board, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they can. <laughs> they, they just can. That's a choice they make. Right. That sounds like a moderate mm-hmm. amount of aggression mm-hmm. to me, not low. I can talk forever about the lizards. Yeah, we got to keep it focused. <laughs> My whole thing is like, is this a useful metric for a root faction? Like, they're all going to be ag- aggressive at some point. It's a <laughs> yeah, war that's game. true. It is I a war know. game. It's like, oh, I'm light aggression. I probably shouldn't be playing this game. <laughs> oh, the penguin paper pushers. <laughs> penguin pacifists. <laughs> Oh, that'd be fun. They just give eggs to people and score points. Uh, speaking of like <laughs> fan factions and, and new faction ideas, we've got some RIT news. <laughs> <laughs> Here in Root News, we've got the Root Jam 2021 thing that we just <laughs> did. Um, the winner is not announced, but Kyle, we participated in this fan faction contest. Yes, and oh man, it was super fun. Um, the basic premise is that we had about 48 hours to create a root faction, like a fan faction, including a player board that was like formatted like a root, you know, player board and a like law of root text thing, some like lore background and TTS assets, like the whole nine yards, 48 hours to, to kind of make the whole thing. And we were given a prompt. The prompt was flipped around and the words were upside down so we were sort of like trying to run with that <laughs> and uh and sam t- talk a little bit about this faction that we, that yeah we, we we went crazy we basically designed two factions because we made the pink moss protectorate a faction of sloths that are being controlled by fungus that grows on them uh, and the faction is uh, gathering power and spreading its influence until the Great Awakening, which is a point in the game where you flip half of your little board over to reveal a second half of your board and a whole new Birdsong Daylight and Evening like faction rundown. Um, so we basically designed two factions in one. All the meeples flipped around upside down. We did stream it, so if you want to check out... Kyle, it's on your Twitch, right? Yeah, that's right. I'll provide a link in the description. Don't you worry. Fantastic. Yeah, so you can come watch a, a playthrough we did of it. Um, we don't know who the finalists are, but fingers crossed for the Brink Moss Protector. Fingers crossed who for knows? a little nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the the winner was going to be decided in a game of root played between <laughs> the four finalists. Is that right? I don't know if the winner is the faction that wins that game, but I know the four finalists will be playing against each other in kind of a showcase match. Got it, which is going to be super fun. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, It's going to be great. The uh, panelists uh, who are kind of judging this competition are uh, playtesting, actively playtesting all of the fan factions to better inform their... Uh, their decision later on, which I think is really cool, and I think is going to yield a pretty interesting gamer route at the end of this whole thing. Yeah. I'm glad the winner's not the faction that wins, because otherwise we should have just made it, like, turn one, gain 30 points, right? Yeah, it should be turn one, take a vote among everyone at the table. (laughs) If yay, gain 30 points. If nay, then, like... (laughs) Then you have to play a normal game of root. <laughs> okay, guys, my turn. Now, hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, also in root news, we want to give a big congratulations to whoever won that physical copy of root we were able to give away. Thanks to Leader Games and Direwolf <laughs> Digital for giving us stuff to give away. Kyle, Honestly, I couldn't was it be you? more delighted to have won the uh, physical copy of root. Um, I really I played my heart out. My my this is. <laughs> People will be hearing this two weeks after you lost, so it'll just be... <laughs> my congratulations go out to my erstwhile opponents. You tried. Well done. <laughs> like 14 days of denial we'll have had to deal with. Speaking of things that have happened already, but we don't know the outcome, there was a fantastic game of Root played on Game Played on the Good Time Society YouTube between Lord of the Board, myself... Some other people. It was a crazy match. Somebody won. We Lily G was there. Was she? Is she there again? Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I mean, she's been invited, and she said yes, so unless she bails in the next 48 hours, she's going to be there. Yeah. Well, you'll, the listeners know. The listeners know if Lily bails The listeners know. The <laughs> listeners know. This is, this is the uh, Woodland War Machine exercise in prognostication. It's going great. <laughs> You can check out that episode on Good Time Society's YouTube channel. That's on the gameplay playlist. All right. Is it time to get culty, guys? Yeah, I think it All is. All right. I got this faction theme o- overview from the Law of Root. We don't have the fun new RPG stuff for the Riverfolk expansion factions yet. So, uh, Jake, would you give us your best uh, thematic reading of the Lizard Cult here? Catering to those creatures who have been discarded by other factions, the Lizard Cult seeks to overwhelm its foes with sheer force of will. The cult relies on word of mouth and beak to spread its gospel, and new enclaves can spring up anywhere on the map. Hold on. We gotta talk about word of beak. (laughs) Mouth and beak? Yeah, word of mouth and word of beak. Oh, I guess because other denizens of the forest... They're trying to not be... Excluding birds. <laughs> They're trying to not exclude birds. But birds have mouths. Surrounded by beaks. Right. And rabbits don't really have mouths so much as holes below their nose. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me try that again then. <clears throat> the cult relies on word of mouth and beak and face hole to spread its gospel, and new enclaves can spring up anywhere on the map. Where the cult rule clearings, they can build gardens, which will further radicalize the animals that live there. While other factions spend cards to achieve their aims, the cult acts chiefly by revealing cards and gradually drafting the ideal set of followers. Unless used for scoring, these cards are not spent and are returned to the cult's hand during evening. However, this gentler approach, some might say moderately aggressive, makes movement and (laughs) combat operations difficult. So these actions can only be undertaken by the most radicalized members of the cult. Ooh, I love it. I love it. This gives me very much like a, like weather underground, like 60s, like pacifist new left kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. I love that they say that they get the discarded creatures of other factions because it is like literally in the discard pile. You know, that's just that's just such a fun thing of like, oh, you don't want those people anymore. Come here. Come to the cult. We've got a home for you. I now understand why it's called the Lost Souls pile, right? It's the, those right. people are the Lost Souls. Right. Well, Used and discarded by the other factions. <laughs> All right, Kyle, you've got some tournament context you wanted to bring up before we get going with the lizards here. Um, yeah, just as we're kind of trying to 
you know, wrap our heads around this faction. I just wanted to give a little background. I do feel like the lizards are generally considered underdogs in kind of tournament settings, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, given their performance, I think it's a little hard to say exactly like how much of their potential has been reached, honestly, because they are one of the least chosen factions in tournament play. Like when they show up in the draft, they're often left on the table when uh, other factions are picked. So, you know, the the data set is actually a little smaller than some of the other factions, which is interesting. They have won a handful of games. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, let's call it like it is. They're, they're underdogs. They score a bit slowly, and they need the game to last a little bit longer in order to eke out the win. So mm-hmm. sometimes that can be a liability in, in the tournament setting where everyone's, like, re- ready to race. Um, but that being said... I think this is a great moment, actually, to shout out Lily G, who just recently published uh, a whole bunch of statistics about root tournaments in the past. We'll leave a link in the description of this podcast. Please head over to makecraftgame.com. Check out the post. It's called uh, Root Tournament Overall Statistics. And, uh, you know, a lot of information that I've been using to kind of make assessments about factions does come from the data that's been collected by Lily. So thank you. Also, shouts to Lily for her amazing Lizards victory uh, in the recent Space Cats Peace Turtles tournament that, in my words, it blew up the root world. So. <laughs> and that that was the semifinals game, which will be referenced several times during this guide. Because <laughs> oh, it, was, it was magnificent. And yeah, anytime an underdog faction does well in a tournament game, like that's just inherently really exciting. Uh, Kyle, I got a question. Uh, is it that the lizards were in the pool and weren't chosen, or is it that they weren't in the pool at all? Because I know they have a, the lowest reach of any faction of two, so with the way the uh, plus one draft works, that means they're probably in the pool the least amount of times as well. So the lizards are an insurgent faction, which means that they are they show up a bit less frequently than uh, an average faction, in a sense. Uh, but just for some context, the Riverfolk Company showed up in 10% of drafts. Uh, and this is the the plus one pool draft. So 10, 10% of the time, the Riverfolk Company was in the pool. Uh, same for the Lizard Cult, 10%. Uh, for comparison, the Cats showed up in 16% mm-hmm. um, of those pools. So the, you know, as a big army faction, they showed up more times. For those folks who might not be familiar with like tournament formats and stuff like that, five factions are randomly selected or selected based on reach. They're selected based on reach, randomly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. So that's it's a weighted selection. It's weighted. So they're yeah. randomly selected five, and then if th- those five don't add up to a certain reach, Got there's it. a redraw. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so they showed up in ten percent of drafts. But were selected the, I think, the second fewest amount of times. Uh, only the Corvid Conspiracy was chosen fewer times than the Lizard Cult. Hmm, yeah. Um, where, compared to, like, the Vagabond had a 100% choice rate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I mean, that does show you what's going on with the Lizard Cult, right? Like, yeah. underdog is is fair what's, to say. How many, how many games is this out of, slash tournaments is this out of? Uh, this is out of three tournaments. The Test Tournament that you played in, Sam, uh, the Winter Tournament and the Space Cats Peace Turtles Tournament from 2021. 
with uh, the, 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 you know, most upcoming tournaments, I think, are going to start migrating to use advanced setup rather than the plus one pool draft. Um, this is maybe not pertinent to the Lizards exactly, but it's going to be interesting to see how that changes the kind of, you know, weighting that people give to different factions. And I think that's going to be incompatible with all this uh, knowledge as well. Yeah, I will say that, I mean, a lot of what we're talking about in these guides is going to hold true for advanced setup. The lizard guide might be the one that changes the most. Advanced setup, I think, changes the lizards and the cats probably the most. Um, so we'll have to do this whole thing all over again sometime next <laughs> year. On the merry-go-round. I mean, we'll be older and wiser at that point, too. I mean, well, definitely older. Well, I feel like yeah. when <laughs> I mean, advanced setup is going to be its own episode, right? Now that when it gets finalized. Yeah. Yeah. Oh sure. yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm mean, so like, excited for advanced setup. I am so excited, especially for the lizards, and we'll we'll talk about how how hard it is to start the game in the current setup, uh, so that we'll kind of understand what we're going to love about advanced setup. But we're not getting into advanced setup today. We got to go through it by the numbers, guys. Yeah. So give us give us this overview, Sam, of uh, the you know what what comes in the box. All right. So. Cult. We got the Lizard Cult. We have a Reach of Two, which is the lowest in the game. Technically, the second Vagabond also has a Reach of Two. Yet, we have 25 Warriors, which is tied for the most. So, oh, for wow. those of you who are still trying to figure out what Reach is at home and thought it had something to do with Warriors, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> also, we have 15 Gardens, uh, five in each of the suits. We have a couple tricky things about the lizards to go over. The lizards are very counterintuitive, I think, when you've learned uh, several other root factions. The lizards just kind of function differently. But once you understand what those differences are and how they work, it's pretty straightforward, actually. I don't think that there's too much nuance, actually, to go over with the lizard game. You're mostly at the mercy of the luck of the draw, the uh, outcast suit, and... There's a lot of luck that you need. So wait, are you saying that there's a, a sort of static game plan for a Lizards game? I think that it's pretty prescriptive. Yeah, I can tell you kind of the golden rules and what to prioritize, and you'll, you, you can do it. You can do it as well as you can You're do it. You're pretty much at the whim of what happens with the Lost Souls, right? Because what players choose to discard will dictate what your outcast suit is, essentially. And so you're kind of like waiting to find out when your turn comes up yeah. what, it's gonna, what you can do. Right. And there's going to be ways we're going to try to mitigate all the luck that we're going to need in the game, and we'll go over that. But at the end of the day, sometimes you're just going to get a little unlucky, and the Dragon God is not <laughs> smiling on you today. <laughs> So let's talk about one of the things that makes the cult a little tricky, and that is the hatred of birds. They <laughs> oh, hate they hate birds. birds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they hate birds. Uh, bird cards are not wild for our rituals, which are our main daylight actions. That's recruit, build, score, and sacrifice. All right? Bird Wait, cards... I thought that in the description they said that they made specific room, word of mouth and beak. <laughs> <laughs> to spread its gospel. Aren't they welcoming they of birds? They want What's the, the birds deal? to spread the word for sure, but they just don't want to let them wear the robes. <laughs> they want to let them wear the sacrificial robes. 
Mm, I Just see. put this on and stand okay. on this pile of wood, okay? D don't worry. We'll be fine. Just stand on the pile of wood. We're going to gather around. We're going to say some things that might sound scary. You're fine. We're going to anoint you with some gasoline. I mean, <laughs> sacred oil. <laughs> it is. It is like thematically this is what's going on. You get bird cards in your hand, and the only thing you can do with them is sacrifice mm -hmm, those birds mm -hmm. over and over again. You don't even have to discard the card. For some reason, you can just keep sacrificing that same bird guy and get continue to get more acolytes. It's like, don't go to the basement of the church. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. you don't have to discard them like uh, the moles do when they reveal, because the moles have a reveal mechanic right. similar to the lizards, right? Where they do things kind of based on what they reveal. But the lizards also can reveal bird cards, but they don't lose them. Yep, that's true. Interesting. Even though sometimes you want to. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have another ability called Revenge. Whenever a cult warrior is removed while defending in battle, it is placed in the Acolytes box instead of the cult supply. Okay? And this, we'll talk about how it works with Coffin Makers, but this kind of overrides Coffin Makers. The Acolytes are going to the Acolytes box. The Dead Warriors are coming to the Acolytes box no matter what. Aggression question, Sam. Like, does this lend to that moderate aggression style because you would be a little bit more okay with losing your warriors if they were to become acolytes yeah that's one of the things that i think is probably counterintuitive about the lizards right you're thinking mm -hmm. like oh i want to be attacked <laughs> right because i have this sweet defensive power mm -hmm. you don't want to be attacked yeah you are a glass cannon and you're not even that good of a cannon you're like a glass slingshot <laughs> all right and any attack against you can be very bad now we'll talk about like kind of throwing some warriors to kind of get gobbled up maybe by a birds player to get some free acolytes that's oh, but we possible but i know we hate birds <laughs> um but we overall this is not the focus of the game and th this is what i'm talking about with the counterintuitive stuff you see your abilities and you think you should lean into them but not every part of the design you want to lean into see that's really fascinating to me so um, revenge, would you, would you say, Sam, that that is a little bit of like a backstop in a way? It's sort of like the, uh, the Woodland Alliance gaining supporters from having their sympathy attacked. Um, yeah. but this is just like you gain acolytes from having your, your warriors on the board attacked. Yeah, I think, I think that's similar, Kyle. And honestly, if I could get a card from someone's hand instead of an acolyte in the acolytes box, I'd take it every that's time. That's the thing. It feels like with the Woodland Alliance, that's like a crucial part of their engine is gaining sympathy, uh, gaining uh, what is it, outrage, right? Is is gaining those cards into the follower yeah. supply. Whereas this is a treat <laughs> for being attacked, right? Yeah. As opposed to a yeah, strategy. Yeah. Just kind of a cushion. Uh, eventually, we'll talk about this in kind of the end game, but if we can get so defensed up that people have to come at us then they either succeed or the revenge really happens where we have a ton of acolytes and we can strike back and that's super cool but that doesn't happen often i think right. that this faction is is super successful and it's like theming um yeah because to me i feel like this makes a ton of sense right like you're attacking these peaceful mm -hmm. like garden tending lizard white robe wearing dwellers right and who are like very pacifist and you're just creating these like radicalized you know martyrs in a yeah. way or like you know using the martyrs to create these these radicals um i don't know i think it's very it's thematically i feel like it's working really well yeah. agreed for sure 
One of my favorite abilities here is Pilgrims. The cult rules any clearings where they have gardens. Notably, this overrides the Eerie's like Lord of the Forest win and ties scenario. If there's a garden and a clearing, the cult rules it. Okay. As you can imagine, this has pretty big implications for the birds, which we hate. We hate, we hate the hate birds. These birds. Um, also, any faction that's relying on moving, you can cut off certain parts of the map with this. It it can be pretty devastating. Yeah, this matters a lot. I think this matters a ton for the cats as well, right? Because the flow yeah. of wood can be yeah. just like totally cut off. Um, this matters a lot for the river folk because rule is how they establish trade posts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can see this being a huge problem for a ton of factions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last kind of like big thing we got to talk about is the Lost Souls pile. This is whenever any card is spent or discarded, even a dominance card, you place it in the Lost Souls pile instead of the discard pile. And then uh, the Lost Souls pile is inspected at the beginning of Birdsong and uh, it's determined what the new outcast suit is. And then all the Lost Souls go to the discard pile proper. Okay, So that's like this weird mechanic and that determines the outcast suit which is the clearings where we can perform our conspiracies okay conspiracies souls pile that's just the coffin makers for cards (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) exactly and we're gonna do our best to try to influence our own outcast suit and set ourselves up for success but these are the kind of like core things that make the lizard folk weird and that we're going to be referencing. And also, lot, I think the hardest right? thing for like their opponents to track, honestly, like this is the thing about the lizards is playing against them is, I think, really difficult. Even though they are uh, the underdogs in a lot of cases, keeping track of them is is harder than I think any other faction to play against. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I could see that. You have to worry about what cards you're discarding in a way that you didn't have to worry. Maybe the Tinker, but you're looking at the suits and you're like, oh, no, I can't give them what they need or whatever. Um, For sure, those Sanctifies can be really scary to play against. You also don't know where that's going to happen. It's just one of of those clearings that has that suit, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so many parallels with the Woodland Alliance with regard to the Lost Souls and influencing the Outcast. It's a whole new vector for strategy to happen, which I think is kind of interesting because the lizards don't have control in and of themselves over what the outcast is explicitly. Uh, It means that other players can affect that during the game. And so you can kind of wield the lizards in a weird way and kind of like aim them at your opponents if they happen to be set up in a certain suit, you know? Yeah. One of the, most fun parts about playing the lizards is the fact that you do have a weapon at the table that will be useful at some point in the game. People will need your help or they will, or you will need other people's help to influence things. There is like some deals and stuff that are going to have to be made. And if you're going to be successful, you need to know exactly what you want and uh, make deals for those things and then follow through on whatever, you know, sanctifying the birds or the moles or whatever people want you to do, provided that that's best for you at that moment in time <laughs> as well. Uh, one, one weird thing about the Lost Souls is what, it determines the outcast, but in the case of a tie, like an even split between all the card suits, uh, it just stays put. So if the outcast is fox and there's one rabbit and one mouse in the Lost Souls, it just stays fox again. Yep. Yeah, that's weird because you're thinking there's no foxes in there, but if there's no clear new winner, 
then now you have a hated fox outcast. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. Like there's there's just like a lot of ways to kind of slightly manipulate the lost souls to achieve your ends. So this means uh, throughout the game, the outcasts, if everything kind of is randomly the same, if there's no like explicit effort put in changing it, it will most likely stay the same and stay hated. So when you're choosing this first outcast suit, we'll talk about setup in a bit, but that can matter because you can kind of get stuck on the same one for a lot of the game. I'm so fascinated to hear this. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is that true? It, it's most. It's more likely to stay the same? If, if there's any tie, it stays the same. And I guess there's a good chance of a tie depending on how the round went. And I don't know. Yeah, birds don't well, count. Yeah, okay, and birds don't count, true. So the other thing is, is like, does does the fact the the factor that like fox clearings are used in higher level crafting things, or you tend to need more of them, or whatever factor into this that you tend to see mouse and rabbit earlier on? Maybe it's Maybe. so small of a percentage difference, right? Yeah, I I thought uh, people are like, oh, you want to go for mouse and rabbit, and that's what people always say. I think that you can't prioritize like that. The cards are going to tell you where you need to go. And the suit distribution at the very outset is going to tell you where you need to go. But you guys, we'll talk about setup in a bit. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. I'm eager though. I just yeah, I I want to know more. I know. I feel like I struggle with the lizards because I, I feel so like trapped and slow when I'm playing them. And I take a billion actions and I still have zero points. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, that's right. So let's talk about their scoring method, which is very hot and cold. I wrote feast and or famine. Uh, because it can, it feels like both. It feels like you're either getting four to six points a turn or zero points. Uh, this has to do with, you know, getting your gardens set up in the right clearings, having the cards to actually score them, and then also getting lucky on, oh, and I have the T so I can craft it at the end of my turn for an another couple of bonus points. The lizards, they don't score like one point a turn for the whole game. It's like they don't score and then they score four and then they score four and then they score six and then, then they got bopped and then they score like two and then the game is over and they didn't score a lot of points. Okay. That's usually how it goes. We got to know that we're very sensitive to being checked and that our scoring can happen in big bursts, big chunks. But they kind of snowball, it sounds like. There's a little bit of like a snowball-y kind of thing going on. It's like a snowball, but instead of moving downhill, at any point it could just change direction and not be going downhill anymore. <laughs> Got it. I remember playing a lizard game with Jake uh, a while ago, a couple months ago, and I had turns where I was scoring 10 points on a single turn because I got lucky with scoring six points and then I it, the outcast was mouse and I crafted two teams what? on the same turn so big things like that can happen I must have bl yeah. Jake, I blocked the game. that out two teas that's traumatizing my brain <laughs> in in like a self-defense mechanism just erased that memory <laughs> you'd be great at being in a cult Jake. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I thank gotcha. you Kyle you never compliment me like that I appreciate that <laughs> Like we talked about earlier, the core mechanic that the lizards have that's different than all the other factions until the moles stole it was revealing cards, all right? We don't have to discard them. We just have to reveal them. They kind of go on the table so that you don't use them again. You can't just, like, reveal a card from your hand, put it back in your hand, reveal it again for another action. Otherwise, we'd win the game on turn one. <laughs> um, 
Uh, so you, you reveal the card, and it stays down until the end of your turn where you scoop them all back up. With the exception of the scoring ones, right? Those are the only ones we the discard. The scoring, you do discard and we, to score. We discard an unrevealed one, which I guess we reveal it as we discard it, but it's not used for a revealability. It's really, that's the difference, right? That's a good point, Jake. Yeah, you can't reveal a card and then discard it to score. You have to choose either you're revealing it or discarding it. Got it. And then, crucially, the daylight steps, build, recruit, score, sacrifice, don't have to happen in that order, right? No, they can happen Great. in any order. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the most basic one, which is recruit. We reveal a card. Can't be a bird card. Reveal a suited card, and we place one warrior in any clearing that matches that suit. It's fantastic. And f- I think it's one of the best recruit actions in the game. Because it's unrestricted. You're not, yeah, you're not tied to your buildings. You're not tied to even having pieces in that clearing to begin with. You can just pop up wherever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you just basically like parachute a little lizard warrior <laughs> into whatever clearing. Yeah. I always like to think of it too because, you know, sometimes, uh, again, I'm not a good lizards player. So, like, I'll occasionally just recruit in random clearings just to like have a guy around just to be like, D- maybe you'll want to attack me or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How does it go? Not good. No. I think, yeah, spreading out the warriors is probably not not <laughs> ideal. We'll, we'll find out more about that in a minute. But the, the thing I like about it, though, is that it's like a uh, you know street corner preacher rolls into a clearing and is just kind of hanging out there doing nothing except... The dragon god is nigh! <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of people get... All of the other root factions up to this point really cared about adjacency. And so I think this is one of the counterintuitive things. It's like, break your brain free of being anywhere near where you're currently at. You start in a corner. You don't ever have to touch that corner again. You can just go elsewhere. Yeah, misinformation can go anywhere in the forest. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That rabbit will, will tell somebody. All right, our next action is build. This is pretty simple. We reveal a card in, uh, that matches a clearing we rule and place a garden in that clearing, right? Not too much to talk about here. It's pretty simple. You build the thing. You don't get points for building. You get points for having built and discarding a card, right? So Notably, none of this includes, like, outcast stuff. That's all when we get to the conspiracies, right? On our turn, the yeah. only thing that involves outcast clearing is just the conspiracies. Everything else is still just based on the cards we're revealing, right? And crafting. Right. But that crafting. happens at okay, the cool. end. Right. right. Uh, but yeah, outcast. We're, we're uh, again. These daylight actions are so open. Yeah, and it's so fun. Yeah. yeah, and they're so peaceful too. Like, right. They're all just very constructive and not confrontational. Right. It's literally like recruit guys, build buildings, add acolytes, score points. Wouldn't you say build is a little confrontational, considering that once you build in that clearing, don't their gardens be like mean they automatically rule that clearing, right? But Jake, they're beautiful gardens. <laughs> yeah, but cats don't care if their logs aren't uh, accessible, and birds don't care if they're going to turmoil how pretty it, that garden is next to the roost, right? Yes, that that is true. You can build an aggressive garden uh, now and then, uh, but notably, you do have to rule the clearing in order to build the garden. That's a good point. Right. That's a good point. So you're not like you're not reestablished going okay. too crazy. And we'll talk about the kind of balance of how many guys you recruit to a place before you decide to pull it down the gardens, because that is the knife's edge of playing the game. Mm. Uh, Sacrifice is your bird card action. Uh, Again, when I play the lizards, you just reveal your whole hand, right? I just just start my turn by just revealing my entire hand like like I'm playing Dominion. (laughs) I just lay them all on the table, and I, I take the actions that correspond. So... Sacrifice for every bird card in your hand, you're going to get 
a warrior in the acolytes box. It's not great to have bird cards. We'll talk about how we can fix the problem of having bird cards, but we don't like them. We don't. You want don't want them. acolytes. Acolytes are fine, but the hand space it takes up, I would rather use to recruit, build, or school. Okay, that's a great point. The uh, the overview says that the cult acts chiefly by revealing cards and gradually drafting the ideal set of followers. So this uh, this hand of cards is kind of like your followers in a way, mm-hmm. and they hate birds. <laughs> <laughs> they do. So well, they can't score with the birds, right? So that's there is there's no easy way to get rid right. of them, right? There's one there's one way, and we'll talk okay. about it. We'll, we'll yeah. talk about. Now, we're revealing our hand, and that's private information. <gasps> oh, no. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Okay? People aren't going to do anything about it. I reveal ambush cards on the regular. I think you should reveal ambush cards because then people will think, oh, I don't want to attack mm-hmm. them. And that's mm-hmm. the whole goal. Mm-hmm. We don't need to ambush somebody. We need to be not attacked. So revealing yeah. the ambush is even better than ambushing somebody. Losing the ambush card from your hand is almost worse than like, yeah, yeah. The, sure. the attack itself. And then our final action, score. Uh, this is where we spend a card, uh, spend the same card you reveal. That is a very confusing way to do that because that's not really what you do. You just discard a card from your hand to score victory points on the guard. The board track. that I'm reading says discard right. an unrevealed card to score VP to the rightmost empty space matching that garden. I think that that is a better phrasing of this rule. Great. Yeah. So basically, you have to have a number of gardens on the map to score more and more points. And really, what we're concerned about is getting two gardens down. Two gardens means two points. One garden means zero points. Okay? Anything beyond two, you're putting yourself at great risk, I will say. There's occasionally times where if you want to craft a certain card, like a favor, maybe stand and deliver you might want to have that extra garden. Outside of that, we are trying to stick to having two gardens but Sam, in a suit. There's what? 15 that I could build. Why would they give me so many? Especially when um, the rightmost one in any faction means four points per scoring. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, is uh, provided you can guard five gardens. Yeah. If, if you can do that, great. Also, how did you get <laughs> that many warriors in those clearings with the random cards you get. I, just practically, it's not going to work, guys. It's not going to work. So let's get into the the kind of Lost Souls, Acolytes, and Conspiracies part of our turn. And I ordered the guide this way, because obviously this part happens in Birdsong. This is the first thing we do on a turn. But I wanted to emphasize how much more important recruiting building and scoring is above the fun superpowers that the lizards get okay uh this is also a really tricky part of the game to give advice for because it's so dependent on your card draw your opponent's aggressiveness towards you giving you acolytes and that can really vary from meta to meta uh, what people are discarding all that is so random and so it's hard to give like concrete advice but like I said, most of the time I've found that the outcast tends to circle around a suit because of the fact that the outcast doesn't change in ties. It tends to stick around the same one. So when we're choosing our setup one or our setup outcast, we want to make sure that it is something we're going to want in a couple turns. 
not necessarily for the first turn. How do you know that it's going to revolve around one suit? Just because it's less likely to change because ties are so much more common in the Lost Souls? I know we hit on this a few minutes ago, so we can edit this out if it's unnecessary. Yeah. But, like, I just want to be clear on that. That's right, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because because of the whole tying outcast rule, it's more likely to stay the same than it is to change. Mm -hmm. Now, it will change throughout the game. Probably a couple times. And But there's not a lot of predicting you can do. This is just kind of where the odds are going to go, okay? So just okay. kind of feel that out. We want to be really efficient and choosy with how we spend our acolytes, all right? We mostly want to wait until the outcast is hated to do anything so that we're not spending extra acolytes. Um, and the exception to that is unless it's going to get us control of what I'm going to call our critical clearings all right uh we'll talk more about critical clearings but essentially we're going to choose like three clearings on the map and those are going to be the clearings we care about and we don't care about anything else all right overall the acolytes and the conspiracies are not the main focus of the game and saving acolytes for a potential late game play is probably always going to be the safest option Okay. Is there, like, what are the exceptions to where you would, like, cash in some of those acolytes for, like, wh what about, like, repositioning some of your guys if you happen to be in adjacent clearings? Right. I would probably only do it if it's hated. I wouldn't spend two acolytes. Maybe. Ah, no, I would. I would. I would crusade to get control of one of my two, or, or my two or three critical clearings. Uh, of note, this is nice to do. The lizard setup is you put four in a corner and one lizard in each adjacent clearing. So a lot of times there's a couple starter lizards that you never use. So it could be nice to crusade one of those to a useful clearing. Um, but I would say only if you're gaining ground, if you're gaining a clearing, to, to reinforce the same clearing. It depends on the aggressiveness of the table, but... I think you might get more bang for your buck, especially if you don't have a lot of bird cards in your hand, of saving those acolytes for negotiating your superpowers with later. So let's talk about them. Convert. This is a great way to kind of get uh, uh, control of a clearing, right? Because we are taking away one person's control and adding one for ours in the same action. Um, this, if, if one of the critical clearings we need is contested, I could see a world where we're converting early on to try to get that clearing because at the end of the day our priorities are get two clearings with two building slots and build two gardens in them of two different suits and that's mainly because of the draw right because the card draw is enhanced on each of those yep card draw and that's when right. the scoring threshold starts in any suit which which is means yep. gives you the diversity for when the the outcast does change or whatever or really also for your scoring mechanism i guess right right yeah yep 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 all right so then we have sanctify which is like a convert but for a building which is fun because it scores us a point it removes a building and puts a building there which would be like so many actions all in one uh, we can bypass warriors to just do this. This is the only ability in the game where it's like you can take out cardboard even though there's warriors there. Uh, so this is a hugely powerful thing, especially to do to the moles who will immediately experience price of failure. You could do it to the Eeries if they have a suited recruit and you could turmoil them on recruit. 
Uh, the Woodland Alliance, if you really need to get a bunch of supporters out of their stack, you can sanctify one of their bases. So this is our big bargaining chip. This is the all of the moderate aggression that we have been ranked with comes from this ability, I think. This is the sword of Damocles of the lizards, I feel like. This is why you save the Acolytes, is to um, pop somebody's building. And, I'm, well, the thing is, though, that it is uh, limited to the outcast suit. So, for instance, if the moles are in the game and they are, you know, terrified of having one of their buildings sanctified, it's then in their best interest to try and control the outcast to steer it away from whatever suit their buildings are in. Yep. For sure. This is not always the best thing to do for the cult, however. This is great for the table. It keeps the game going longer, which is good for the cult. But losing gardens is something we're going to try to avoid entirely. The best case scenario is we don't lose any gardens. All right. So we definitely don't want to just stick a garden somewhere undefended. So if we are sanctifying, we should have an ability to back that up, either by continuing to do conspiracies and converting warriors in that clearing so that there is some kind of defense crusading in there maybe we have enough cards in our hand where during the daylight we can just recruit a bunch to keep it but i think that contesting clearings and getting into fights and starting forever wars and clearings with gardens in them is a very risky thing to do yeah would you say this is the knife's edge of of the lizards play in general is like how interactive to be yeah i think that's it i think you can't get bullied into using your powers just for the sake of the table. They're going to tell you you get to score a point for doing it, but you're also going to lose a card from your hand, and someone else is going to score a point for removing your garden. So it doesn't help you. You don't make forward ground. Uh, unless you're like, you know, you sanctify a building, which is like your third in a suit to then do favor or something like that. I can see a world where you're using that for crafting or, or something where you can kind of balance out the loss. But I think that people don't realize how big of a liability losing a garden is. And so they sanctify maybe a little too brashly. Whereas I would say you want to save that for a big play. And if people want you to do it, they better be able to back up and help you out and do something for you. I really like this rubric of like, don't do it unless you're gaining ground. Yeah. Uh, I f yeah, I feel like the way that you're laying this out is is very helpful to me. <laughs> this also feels like a faction that like is going to be the most resistant to policing, right? Yeah, I, we yeah we we will mo more than likely we won't police. We will probably like king slay. Right. Well, sorry, that's what that's what I mean. We is will like, probably use our powers to keep. Well, this the game conversation, going, like but, many yeah. of our faction conversations, really revolve around how the faction can do its best, right? But we are always. We're never in a vacuum by ourselves or playing solitaire. We're always playing with three other folks. So we have to figure out what we have to do during those times to balance that. Not only are we dependent upon what the Lost Souls is, we're dependent upon be being able to do anything in these clearings, period. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Kingslaying is a good example of like what we will be asked to do at some point. So uh, really where we need to realize that we will need to become flexible is in the late game when we're going to be making our big plays anyway. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the most flexible of our conspiracies, and that's Crusade. I think this is a pretty underutilized conspiracy, too. Um, we talked about how we can consolidate troops with this, which can be good in the early game if 
it's a pretty big circumstantial thing. It really depends on where the critical clearings end up being. But it can be a good move to consolidate some of those starter lizards. And late game, if you have a bunch of acolytes, you can kind of go on a big crusading spree and clean up some of the cardboard. See Lily's semifinal win in the 2021 Root Patreon tournament, the Space Cats Peace Turtles one. Um, she cleans up the cardboard all right. <laughs> Um, so this is the only way we can move, and this is the only way we can battle in the game. That's is crazy. Is through this one conspiracy. That's crazy. Like, yes. there's no yeah. base move battle action for them during their daytime at all. Right. Which makes dealing with certain factions a nightmare. Yeah, specifically, like, the Vagabond, right? Like, impossible to figure them out, because they can just scamper away, and then it's just like, well, they're... Go- <laughs> How am I even going to get there? Yeah, I think that there's three factions that are really good against the Lizard Cult. <laughs> and that is the Vagabond. Because if you notice, you guys, I can't convert the Vagabond. I can't sanctify one of the Vagabond's buildings. I could crusade against the Vagabond. But as we know, these are very limited, these conspiracies. I'm, I'm doing like a couple of these throughout the whole game. And we all know how many times it takes to hit the Vagabond to even make a difference. So I feel like almost all of these conspiracies are pretty much useless against the Vagabond. I can only do these things in outcast clearings, right? So the the Woodland Alliance can... The sympathy token can just be, like, undefendable. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't even attack that to get it out of here. I wish I could give you a card and get it out of here. I can't. I'm just going to get blown up, and I know it. I, and then the Corvid conspiracies has a similar problem where I have to gamble one of my cards, which is my action, and hope it's not a bomb. It's terrible. It's terrible. We'll get into faction interaction, but needless to say, the limitations are really felt in the Lizard Cult. So let's say you've stocked up on Acolytes. It's late in the game, and you're ready to go on a crusade spree. Yeah. Um, any advice for how to, how to pull off one of these successfully? Yeah, there's a couple tricks. One is... Don't forget you can also convert, right? So if there's a, a warrior guarding a building, you might think you want to sanctify, but you don't. What you do is you want to convert and then attack. And then crusade, right? Right, right, crusade. Yeah, you convert and then you crusade against their own building, right? There's little tricks like that where... Um, and also you have to crusade from the outcast clearing, which means like if it's Fox, you can fight in a Fox clearing or you can move from a Fox clearing and then fight. What that means is you probably want to leave at least one lizard behind, even if you're pretty sure things are good, because if you roll a zero zero in the destination clearing, you can't battle again there unless you can move another lizard from an outcast clearing to that destination clearing. So... When we're doing a big crusade spree, we do want to be careful of not... It's not an otter ball, okay? It's more of like a chain of warriors we need to be making. Yeah, waves. Yes, waves. waves. Of, uh, yeah. Attackers. Definitely. Yeah, really, really earns the name crusade there in that yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is so fascinating. Yeah, you're right about these being like superpowers that you want to really hold on to. The only thing about crusade that I'd say to be careful about maybe is um, getting wildly out of position and gambling on a crusade can be um i mean it can lose you the game if you are under defended after that point so like be judicious make sure it's the like end of the game (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, I, I would never crusade unless it was to gain a critical clearing or get points. Points. I would not crusade for one point. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not gaining any accolades from this. Like, you're on the attack. This is the one time that you're, like, going out and, and bashing face. So, yeah. like... Yeah, if you got acolytes as the attacker, you could have an endless stream of attacking, which would be sweet. <laughs> um, but no, that's not how it works. Let's talk about the crafting ability, which the board describes as high. And I think it's somewhat good. It's pretty good. It's just very dependent on the outcast suit, right? Yeah, it's suit locked. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. So there's actually a couple cards that we could never craft. Tax collector, soup kitchens require one of each suit, and we can never have that. So those cards we can never craft. Bummer. It is a bummer. Uh, tax collector. Tax collector would be so oh. so good. Oh, I wish I had tax collector as the lizards, right? <laughs> it's the one card that the lizards are destined for, and they just can't ever have it. It just seems like the most lizard card. For those of you who don't know, tax collector is we remove in daylight. We remove a warrior from the map and draw a card. Which would be awesome because as the lizards, we could then just reveal that card and put that warrior right back and match the clearing. <laughs> it would be amazing. Um, and they just can't can't get it. Big oversight. Big oversight. <laughs> it might be a little too strong. I guess they don't pay taxes. The cult doesn't pay taxes. Is that? I well, I think that makes sense too, right? Yeah. Especially if there's like a, you know, their church seems like a nonprofit kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of profit being made, at least points-wise, that's for sure. <laughs> so we're actually one of the weird factions that prefers the base deck. Uh, most factions cross the board like the ENP deck better. It's a better deck for the game, but actually the cards in the original deck are a little bit more favorable towards the Lizards. And by that, I mean they're favorable towards the Lizards, and a lot of the cards in the new set are just not as favorable and more favorable to other people. So just kind of like in relation to how good we are at a given deck, the base deck is better for us, all right? Yeah, and, and the cards to focus on for the Lizards are ones that kind of improve uh, the ability to do stuff, right? Uh, so in the base deck, it's like, you know, having cobbler or whatever to be able to like move or like, you know, set yourself up on the board. Very helpful. Um, Is better burrow bang. <laughs> Any of those like crafted improvements, I feel like are pretty handy. Maybe are not they? Uh, <laughs> command Warren as much. I am. I, I was thinking about this. I think that cobbler and command Warren, right? You can move and now you can battle. If Woodland Alliance is in the game, I I'd take command Warren, right? I don't, I don't. I can't. The sympathy, the sympathy blowing right, up my right. gardens. I just have PTSD from it. I can't deal with it. But moving and battling, although we can't do that, they're also not really inherent to us scoring points. If we can, unless we we need those cards to get a foothold in what I'm calling our critical clearings. If we have those clearings, we don't need to well, go anywhere else. We don't need. That's to what battle. I imagine is what kyle's referring to is like it's it puts you in place to start building your gardens especially if you get it early right because it requires you to rule first and you're not ruling much beyond your first clearing right at the beginning of the game is it is it more important than getting multiple lizards on the board and scoring two points i don't know i would say maybe I, yeah you i take your point like spending that one card for two points is great value mm-hmm I would say, though, like, if you've got a couple of offsuit cards in your hand 
And you want to just recruit one, like, bomb lizard and then move it into the actually important clearing next door? I feel like that's totally a good move. Um, yeah. And just even having that ability ready to go could be, you know, you could have that lizard stack be ever so slightly fatter and harder to hack through at the end. So the always the push and pull here is that because this card costs two rabbit gardens, we could always score it mm. instead of crafting it, right? We could always... We don't even have to score. If we have another rabbit card, then we have one that we could use for a recruit and a score. So I think Cobbler, I think you're right. I think there are circumstances are are good for it, but I would say you'd want to have multiple other rabbit cards in your hand if you feel comfortable crafting this. I, I was saying you made such a good point at the beginning of this, Sam, about how like we can't move in battle. And then when you talked about Crusade, it's like, well, we want to use it when we can. I don't know, like... It costs us two acolytes to even do a move, right? Whereas Kyle's suggestion is you have a cobbler to give you the right. option to do a move. Yeah, I, I see the benefit yeah. in it in like with your consolidation or, or diversification, I guess. Yeah, but I guess uh, because of the scoring tempo, like two points. Pretty worth it, yeah. Pretty helpful. <laughs> you can't ever throw away an opportunity okay. to score, for sure. Hard to pass that up. Wow, you've, you're convincing me. I'm I'm being won over <laughs> to your position. And here's here's my last thing: is that that move does help consolidate, right? But we're only focusing on three clearings, so unless they're adjacent to each other and we need to like defend, all you're doing with those moves is getting those starter lizards mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. a place where they're sure. slightly helping defend, you know. And I just don't think that that is going to weigh out in the long term. However, Kyle, you mentioned better burrow bank, and any card that allows us to get more cards is almost worth getting out of position to get. Better Burrow Bank, I say, is a must craft. At, at the beginning of Birdsong, you get an extra card, which means you get an extra daylight action, right? That This is like a bird card for the cats every turn for you. And it's a card... And potential points. And when you draw over your hand limit, which you're going to do all the time because we're really good at drawing cards... You, it gives you more choice of how to influence the outcast suit on future turns. So card draw is the whole game here. As a result, stand and deliver is super great. This costs three mouse, which is so overpriced. But if you're there, if you got two mouse gardens and you can get another one really easily, this is also another action every turn, and you're actually stealing a card from another player. So if the molds are in the game, you can kind of... Be like, oh, I saw you had a couple fox cards. Maybe I could get lucky, you know? Interesting. I think I've been playing them kind of wrong, or at least, like, not very optimally. And uh, I, I'm really interested to hear some ways to kind of mitigate the, like, luck of the cards and the luck of the outcast. Because it all feels, like, super luck-based, you know? Yeah, there is a lot of luck in this faction. A lot. Um, so, yeah, we were kind of talking about mitigating luck by getting crafting cards that give us extra card draw right yeah so then um the other cards we can craft here we are definitely a, a faction that can pull off a favor right especially it, it's gonna have to line up with the outcast suit so that usually means we've got two in a suit and we can usually just sanctify on that turn we know we're going to do the favor right and then we don't have to worry about uh defending that garden very well because there will be no one in that clearing by the end of my turn um now people can move in and attack it but at that point come on you you favored you know you can take a garden loss at that point 
you know? So, um, yeah. You're gaining ground by establishing yeah. that <laughs> yeah. garden, for sure. At least destroying everyone else's ground, that's for sure. Um, a couple cards that I think are just kind of like happy accident crafters are sapperers. Or sapperers. Sapperers. Sapperers and armorers. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to call that combo of cards. <laughs> sapperers. Um, sappers and armorers have their place because these are things that are disincentivizing people to attack us, which we love. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go out of my way to craft any of these cards, but sappers and armorers are both bird cards. So craft away. Get them out of your hand. Yeah. And that goes for anything that we feel like we can craft any card that we want out of our hand. Like for instance, Maybe if we're going to overdraw our hand and have to discard cards, and we don't want to discard a card that might influence the outcast suit in a bad way, crafting it might be an option. And like I said, if only we could craft Tax Collector. R.I.P. Tax Collector. <laughs> uh, so let's go into the Exiles and Partisans deck, which does not have as many good options for us. Cards like Swap Meet is good. It gets us a different card. It doesn't give us an additional card. So we get to choose which card we lose from our hand. So we are curating our followers in our hands, which is good. But again, just not quite as good as gaining a card. Uh, can I pitch one? Yeah. Leak of Adventurous Mice yes. is probably great for the wizards, Yes. Right? There is, I think, in the Exiles and Partisans deck, there's a whole mouse thing for any faction, but I think it works well for the Lizards too, which is Marine Broker, Master Engravers, and League of Adventurous Mice. Marine Broker. Definitely Marine Broker is, is probably the best one because that's the only one that gets us an extra card on our turn. And Master Engravers is going to give us extra points for crafting items, which will be sweet if we can pull off some four-point coins. That is certainly the kind of ground we need to make up from our slow start. What about Charm Offensive? Charm Offensive gets us cards. <sighs> So let's talk about Charm Offensive. We I, we got into a discussion on the Woodland War Machine channel on the Good Time Society Discord uh, months ago about the card Charm Offensive. And I came in with a hot take that I think Charm Offensive is a bad card. Let's remind everybody what Charm Offensive does, Jake. Oh. <laughs> I did not expect that whatsoever. Charm Offensive is a rabbit suited card and requires only one rabbit clearing. At the start of evening... You may draw a card and choose another player to score one point. All right. So this is an extra card, right? We do get an extra card. However, when do we get that card, Kyle? Oh, I guess it's start of evening. Wow, At the start lame. of evening. So we will have to discard down to five cards. Mm -hmm. And we've I mean, given someone a point. Yeah. Well, would you at least be able to craft the card? Uh, I believe at the you start can. of the evening. So yes. Yeah, because they craft mm -hmm. an evening. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah, could so you could lock into a craft again potential... as long as it matches the outcast suit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but that doesn't translate into an action, which is the only reason it'd be good for the lizards, I guess. Right. Right. So I think people talk me down from the ledge. I think Charm Offensive is a fine card. I don't think it's a good card for the lizards, specifically because we already overdraw our hand on most turns. So, like, using it to influence the outcast suit, that was the argument that came up. I just don't know if that's worth a point. Yeah. Um, a turn after turn. You can always not use Charm Offensive, but I, I, I say on the guide here, it's not as good as you want. 
It just <laughs> yeah. yeah. The timing the timing is just very unfortunate, I feel like, with the lizards yeah. specifically. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, Kyle, League of Adventurous Mice, we're hoping to craft some items throughout the game. And having a time where we can use a move in a battle, that's the kind of like situational move in battle that makes total sense. It's completely yeah. flexible. We only need one or two throughout the game. <laughs> Just being able to choose a clearing to battle a sympathy or something yeah. can really make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Woodland Alliance and Lizard, just, they shouldn't be in the same game. <laughs> they shouldn't. <laughs> so that's great. And then the last card we got to talk about is Coffin Makers because it's a little confusing. Dead Lizards go to the Acolytes box. Lizards that die in defending, I should say. Um, lizards that would go to the Acolytes box, they do go there first. And then when you spend them for a conspiracy, then they go into the Coffin. Now, I guess this could result in you not having every warrior you could use on a given turn that could get caught up in coffin makers. I've never seen it happen. I've never seen someone put out all 25 lizards anywhere, even with the otters. Yeah, I was kind of surprised game. when you told us there were 25. I was like, how? I didn't even know that. Yeah. I just feel like they're like, we need another faction with a lot of warriors. <laughs> yeah, but. they have 15 gardens. Like, that's not going to happen either. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could tell you, you need what? Four. 18 yeah. <laughs> lizards, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but Coffin Makers is great because it gives you, uh, you know, those sweet, sweet points. Yeah. And it's good. It, it kind of doubles up if people are going to attack you. If people are, you know, you might as well get some extra points and then you get Acolyte. Or you get acolytes, you get their warriors in there, and then you'll get your acolytes in there eventually for next turn. It's a weird little like delay that you have to work with, but Coffin Makers is a great card. You should craft it. You don't have to worry about the downside. What about um, Eerie Emigre, another card that gives you some movement in battle? Yeah. Would that port well onto the lizards? I don't mind it because it's a bird card, so crafting it's good, but you do lose it if you don't use it, that move in battle. Mm. And so... I tend to want to clump my lizards in my critical clearings. I I could see it for consolidating on those early turns, and you're not losing the ability to use it as an action. So I think it's fine, but I, I think the idea of like fixing the moving and battling with the lizards isn't as important as it seems. Got it. Um, partisans are bad, I think, for lizards. They deal an extra hit. It's a great like combat deterrent. We like those cards, but it's going to cost all of the cards from our hand that don't match that thing. And we want to kind of diversify our hand. So we're losing three cards. At that point, just take the garden. I don't need to deal an extra hit. Just take the garden. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was, a, I think, a tournament game where Garrick was lizards and he was being attacked and he had partisans crafted. And it was this whole thing of, like, if in order to survive the battle, he had to use partisans. But... If he used Partisans, he wasn't going to be able to score and win the game because he would have discarded all the cards he needed to win the game. So it was just like this terrible situation he was in. I mean, you never have to use Partisans. It's an optional thing, so that's fine. But I'd rather score with it. I'd rather have it in the whole ritual economy rather than off to the side as a crafted improvement that I'm probably not going to use. All right. Any questions about crafting, gang? Are you guys ready for my prescription for a Lizards game? Yes. I think I'm ready for it. Okay. This is the part that I've been very curious about. Mm -hmm. Is like how to get set up for a good game as the Lizards. Because I just end up sprawling all over the place. Dropping like individual Lizard dudes everywhere on the map. 
trying to cause a headache for other players. And I'm curious if you address that at all in this kind of setup guide. Oh, yeah. I think that's mainly the thing. Upon setup, the map is set up and the clearings are randomized, right? Or, or the auto map. But most likely, the clearings are randomized. And what we are looking for is we are looking to identify three critical clearings, okay? Priorities for these clearings are that it has two building slots, okay? Um, and each one of these clearings needs to be of a different suit, right? We need one mouse with two slots. We need a rabbit with two slots. We need a fox with two slots, okay? You say you mean at least two slots, right? Yeah, I and I. that's true. It could be at least two. I'm just, I'm just clarifying. Like, you don't want to avoid a three-slot place. Like, it's fine. I, I might. If it's your know, only option, that's your only option. But a three-slot clearing will probably warrant more heat. The cats are going to want to get in on those building slots. Um, are, are other factions not intimidated by your your sanctifying or anything like that? Yeah, it depends. It, it's early on. You know, We're talking about setup right now. So we're... We're trying to find clearings that are going that people aren't going to mind going to the cult. Okay, right. The worst thing we could do is set up in a position where people are going to go. Now I got to come get that. Right. You know? right. Yeah. If you if you plop a garden in the pass or something. Yes. On the we, mountain map, like you're just begging for the yeah. table to come and attack you. Yeah. I feel like much like regular cults, <laughs> you have to live on the fringes of society. Absolutely. The more isolated, the better. We don't want these people calling home. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if we're lucky on our setup, because, you know, in the classic corner setup, cats get to choose, birds are opposite, and then if both of those are in the game, we do get a choice. And so if we're lucky, our corner clearing will have two building slots, okay? That is the, that's Christmas land, baby, because there we go. We've got one of our critical clearings already defended with four lizard warriors, Okay, this is huge. We're starting the game so far ahead. Not of other players, but of our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we need to find one to two other clearings. Okay, and in reality, we're probably only going to focus on two of these three critical clearings. Okay, but people act like you have a choice all the time on the Discord. I read like the difference between focusing on two suits versus focusing on three suits for the lizards and i just want to tell you you don't have a choice yeah you don't get to choose when you draw those fox cards which is the one you're not prioritizing yeah. so you might as well just choose a clearing and be like i i'm probably not going to build gardens there but i'm going to keep plopping every time i got a fox card just going to keep plopping lizards in the same fox clearing and then maybe eventually when the game state is flipped i might be able to take advantage interesting i love that I feel like a lot of people have some very assured opinions about what you should do as a faction without remembering that every game is truly different. And we are always trying yeah. to explain these games, not in a vacuum, but in the in the woodland where where things are different every other day. Right. So you are you are yeah. as much as you might want to do something because it would statistically be optimal. Uh, that statistically isn't always possible. So we have to keep that in mind when talking about these strategies. Yeah. So I guess what my brain immediately jumps to is that, like, aren't you kind of telegraphing your intentions by, like, continuing to just, like, slow recruit, like, one lizard at a time into a clearing? And, like, I don't know. Uh, to me, that, that feels like you're kind of showing the, the entire table where you're about to be setting up shop. Does that have would, an impact on the game, do you think? Yeah, I would go as far as to say you should tell them 
before their first turn. <laughs> this is what I tend to do. I go, here's the here's the plan, gang. I'm going to take these three. All right? And I'm not going to do anything else. And if you, if you let me have that, I got no problems yeah. with you. Right? If, if there is a thing, then we can negotiate. Like, birds or whatever, I think are a great partner to negotiate with because they can be like, uh, you know, you can be like, I won't sanctify you. All right? You know, I won't do the thing that's really going to hurt you later in the game if you let me start my game, you know? Because that's what we need. We need a foot in the mm -hmm, door to mm -hmm. get going. Interesting. I mean, that kind of reminds me of, like, early turn, like, Vagabond talking to the cats almost. is mm -hmm. like, can we work something out so that I can get my engine started? Yeah, I think it's um, similar to the cats, where we know we're behind the ball, and probably more so than the cats. So we need to negotiate those those moments this is slightly off topic but like every root digital game that i've played recently as the cats against the uh river folk i've literally in chat just been like begging the river folk player to like don't park your cats on the key or don't park your otters on the key please like i just want to get set up like i'll buy from you yeah. anyway like you don't have to but no no oh god ah stop it <laughs> i do that all the time in chat i just go i'll be your best customer don't extort me because I, I don't tolerate it well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, similarly, I, I, I would be uh, the lizards have a good amount of table talk to do. We need to get ourselves out of this bad start, and we do have tools later in the game for king slaying, and experienced players will know that. So. Being able to set up the lizards, and like you said, Kyle, you can kind of feed them their outcast suit. You can kind of use the lizards to hurt other players, similar to the Woodland Alliance, like bopping their sympathy here so they have to revolt over there, stuff like that. Um, so I think it is within most people's interest to keep the lizards competitive, and I would say just kind of staying out of two clearings of the board is more than reasonable for most factions. So we've chosen our three critical clearings, and, I mean, we can get screwed by suit distribution, guys. It can be that all the fox clearings have one building slot. <laughs> that can yeah. happen. And then you have to take two clearings, which sucks because that's more to defend. The outcast, we, when we set up, we, we all that was was just looking at the map, okay? We have to choose our outcast suit. And like we said, this is going to kind of more determine later turns because it will go hated on your first turn, most likely. Um, unless people go before you and discard cards. But even on the first turn, even if everyone goes before you, they tend not to discard cards. Um, so it'll most likely go hated on the first turn, but you won't have any acolytes, so this doesn't really matter. However, like we said, the outcast tends to float around the same suit, so maybe thinking about another critical clearing that you want to take on a future turn, making that the outcast suit. right? So if you, if you lucked into... A mouse clearing with two building slots as your home base, you probably don't need to make the outcast mouse. We got mouse taken care of. So choose one of the other ones. There's uh <laughs> there is a thing that could happen where the birds player uh, you know, maybe chose charismatic as their leader or whatever they have to battle, and you can kind of negotiate with like, oh, you should battle me so I get an acolyte, and in exchange, like I'll stay out of your way, or like whatever you can do, so that you can pull off some hated outcast shenanigans on turn one, but it's not worth pushing for it. It's fine. It's fine. But it can happen. Uh, it, it can relate to crafting, too. 
right? If there is a card in your hand, if you have better Burrow Bank in your hand and you can get two gardens down on your first turn or maybe even on your second turn, because like we said, the outcast is going to stay similar. Maybe you do want to go rabbit, right? So when you're choosing your initial outcast, I would say prioritize a clearing you don't have unless you have like one of the cards we talked about that's worth kind of putting yourself out of position to craft. So if we don't get our choice of corner, here's our priority list of just looking at all these clearings. We want them to have two slots. On our first turn, we want to have two cards in our hand that match the clearing we're trying to influence because we want to be able to recruit warriors there and then build gardens there. Or, would be awesome, build a garden turn one to have two in our home base and discard a card to score turn one. That'd be amazing as the lizards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Early game, the game is started. Our priority is to get our second gardens down ASAP, right? Two of two suits. All we care about is recruiting until we get to three to five warriors in a clearing and then put down our gardens and then score as early and often as possible. That's it, guys. That's the lizard cult. That second um, garden is primarily to score, but also really to get another card draw in evening, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the same, you know? It, it's yeah. scoring potential and it's card draw. It's just Well, the they accomplish the same number. goal, but I'm saying, is there one that is higher priority than the other? I mean, scoring, obviously, is a huge priority in the game, obviously. Yeah. But, like, is it more important that we start cranking out cards in our hand to give ourselves more options for our engine early on? Or discarding those cards to start scoring points? Is there a higher priority? Are they equal? I think they're equal. And probably Those probably are the two biggest too. things, and luckily we don't have to make a choice between them. To me, though, the art of the lizards is how many lizards do you put down before you feel safe putting a garden down? Because two is not enough. And three makes me nervous. I like to go four. I like to be at least two battles away from losing everything, you know? If if you can go more, that's great. It'll just depend on the cards you get in your hand um, because you want to be able to score. And we're never passing up an opportunity to score. Okay. I know this this faction this is another part of the unintuitive nature. Feels like I'm trying to curate this perfect hand of cards. But as soon as you can score, you you just have to. You don't have any other time. You if you can score, you have to. Yeah. What what would you say about um so you know one of the rules is like save up those acolytes to cash in later on for like a big turn. Mm-hmm. Um what would you say to spending them in the early game? to get established in a critical clearing. Like if you can convert one warrior to gain rule over clearing before your daylight, like what, what do you think the value of that is? That's great. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Those are the exceptions to saving your acolytes is gaining a foothold in a critical clearing, not just, you know, converting some random dude somewhere because you think that people are going to attack your random dudes and they won't. Because your random dudes can never attack them. <laughs> so they're they're like, whatever. It's you know, we all see the the whole board gets populated with all these single cats on the board. And what happens to them? They stay there. No one attacks those guys. Who cares? As long as I can get two warriors there, I never have to deal with that cat again. Right? Also, they know that killing your lizard doesn't necessarily stop, I don't know, your garden. <laughs> and it also just goes right to your acolyte right. box, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I think you're right, Kyle. If we are converting or crusading into a critical clearing, um, if you have a bunch of acolytes and can straight up sanctify and back it up, I guess that's a good option too. But I think that's a lot to ask in the early game. The big piece of advice in the early game is do not overextend. 
You are the most fragile of factions, and losing a garden is worse than never building it in the first place. Okay, it is not better to have loved and lost. <laughs> it is better to have never loved at all with the lizard gold. All right, either do it or don't. Uh, and so I—that's why I say get to four warriors in a clearing. Hopefully, you might not have that time. If if it is like turn five and you don't have a lot of points, yeah, you might just have to plop down gardens with two warriors and just be at the mercy of the table but what would because i feel like getting to four warriors is is kind of a heavy lift to be honest you know you start the game with three cards you know like it would take a lot of recruiting to get up to four in a different suit what would lower that threshold in your opinion like would an ambush in your hand mean that you could go at three instead or like what what's the what's the calculus there yeah i guess an ambush i think it would just i think it would depend a lot more on the aggressiveness of the other factions Oh, okay. If I have, if there's an undefended vagabond, and um, the cats, and a, a really friendly otters player, I might not worry about it or something, you know. Um, but if there is like a bird with a, a card in battle and they're near me, I, I don't, I think that's too risky. So I think I would yeah. base it on the aggressiveness of the table. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Conspiracy-wise, we're trying to save them uh, and help us gain control of those critical clearings. All right? So that's the early game is getting set up in those clearings. Now, Kyle, you had questions about how we got set up. Do, did those questions get answered? Or do you have any more? Yeah. I mean, I was mainly curious about the uh, the starting outcast because mm-hmm. uh, I could never figure out, like, a cause I was like, unless I have something to craft, I guess. Yeah. It's a crapshoot. I would say prioritize not the one you already have, but it's all a crapshoot. I, I like like the positive vision for using it strategically is to like kind of point it at a clearing that you want to establish. Mm-hmm. But yeah, crafting was the only thing I could think of that would maybe belie that, yeah. perhaps. But no, I, I it's it's fascinating. I feel like you're opening my eyes a lot. Okay, good. Um, I'm ready to join the cult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh no! <all> right. <laughs> well. We haven't won the game yet. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But we've taken so many actions. How are we still at zero points? <laughs> <laughs> no, hopefully, hopefully we we're at least at two points by our like third turn. All right. Oh, so, no. in the middle game, is that what we were at? Mid game. I guess yeah. that means middle game. That's literally what it means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have curated our hand. Okay, and I think. The best recipe for a lizard hand is having two of one suit, two of a second suit, and then something as your fifth card. Either a bird card or that unprioritized clearing. Okay, I mean, I guess you could have three of one and two of one, and that'd probably be even better. But <laughs> I think there is something to be said for having one bird card in your hand. Mm-hmm. Just having it trickle in those acolytes slowly, I think it's fine. Especially if we have a card that gains us a card every turn, having it as one of six cards is a great. That's idea. my question for you, Sam. Though, is like, what is our what is our main acolyte generator? If you're playing as efficiently as possible, nothing. <laughs> what? I don't prioritize acolytes at all, and it's a happy accident when they accumulate. If I'm honest, just to push back slightly, like I. Just wonder, like, is there a world in which an acolyte-heavy lizard style would be at all, like, possible? Like, once you're set up, like, maybe in the mid-game, like, switch into, like, a 
you know, like going for those acolytes and just discarding your suited card for points. I think you th- you're thinking you can accomplish a lot because you're saying you're discarding cards for suits, right? So then, like, how much of what what's your hand composition at that point? Yeah, I mean, I guess it'd be like three birds and then one of each suit that you're already set up in. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, that is certainly good. But then you're going to keep those three bird cards, right? And then, I mean, it's possible. I've just been, you just get screwed on the luck of the draw, I think. Yeah, it does really, really, just is hoping super hard for a I can differentiate between, like, prioritizing making acolytes, but I'm saying, like, you do want them, right? We're all building up to the end where we start conspiring. No? Am Am I wrong on that? I think, I think that's what we're building towards, but there's a free way to get acolytes, and they and that's people attacking you. Ideally, so that is our biggest generator of acolytes. I think so. I think so. That's what mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. Pri- I, obviously, we're not prioritizing getting attacked, but I, I think I think it's better to just prioritize the engine of the lizards and let the acolytes fall where they may. Let that happen. Okay. Okay. But like pass. So let it happen from the the fighting, from revenge, right? Not necessarily from like. Obviously, we don't care about sacrifice too much. But as you said, having one in there sure is nice to start generating it. Yeah, it, it can be. Yeah. And again, we are not trying to get into those fights, though, Jake. We are actively trying to I avoid understand. getting attacked. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. But you will be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I think you want it to be something it's not. <laughs> it's not that I don't I don't want it to be something it's not. It's just such a core part of the faction visually, so yeah. I'm trying to understand why we're ignoring it, right? Because strategically I understand yeah. your logic, right? But I'm trying to see oh like there's three powers here that we use as our leverage and part of our discussion for interacting with the other factions. So not having the fuel to make those seems or not prioritizing that fuel seems counterintuitive but i do see what you're saying i i I understand the logic of like you want it to just be a side benefit of your already great engine usage from your other abilities yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah so that 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 kind of fifth card is like our miscellaneous card it could be a bird card it could be that i'm calling our third lost cause critical clearing (laughs) usually there's just one where it's like Whatever. Like, someone already took over that clearing, but I'm just going to keep throwing lizards there, right? Like, (laughs) it doesn't benefit you really to throw them anywhere else than a clearing that you might be able to get maybe in the late game. So you might as well just keep kicking them there. (laughs) Hey, these guys just keep showing up. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I've I've had deals struck, too, where you can... The birds player's like, oh my gosh, I need a battle. You know, can you throw a lizard somewhere? And you can use that as negotiation. You know, but there is one way to curate our hand, one way to get these pesky bird cards out of our hand, and that is Dom swapping. Our friend uh, Garrick Samples said here when I asked about bird cards in the Lizard Cult, <laughs> Garrick said, birds are trash for anything but Dom swapping. A sacrifice is a recruit on a time delay. Ooh, that's very interesting. I think I understand the sense of this. Just the the fact that you can spend those acolytes to convert, right? But that requires you spending a card from your hand or revealing at least, and kind of going through all these steps. Two and less hated. Yeah. So for dom swapping, basically, like the dominance card has to be in its kind of special area of the discard. It has to have already gone through the lost souls and popped out into its special area of the discard. Yeah. You'll spend that bird card in order to take one of the suited dominance cards. Mm-hmm. What, what happens then? 
Well, then we have a suited card, which is much more useful to recruit, build, and score with. I would say this is great for changing the um, composition of our hand, right? Getting less bird cards out and then uh, getting a suited card in. But I think it's also useful to swap a like suit. For instance, a rabbit, uh, you know, a card, especially if it has like no crafting power anymore or whatever, you discard a rabbit card and you pick up the rabbit dominance card because that way you're influencing the lost souls. Lost oh, souls, just yeah. to stoke the uh, the outcasts mm -hmm. or like lean it in a certain direction. I love right. that. I love that. So I mean, you don't want to do that just as a blanket rule, but if you're like, oh, I want it to be rabbit because I want to craft these coins or something, that you can get that dominance card, then spend it for a score. So now you've gotten two rabbit in there to hopefully next turn get to the point where you can craft the coins. And right? are you mostly scoring with dominance cards, I guess, opposed to recruiting, I guess? Yeah, I mean, they're the the number one to spend because you can get the mech. Sam. So flexible. That's huge. Yeah. That's pretty That's cool. That's awesome. Dominant swapping literally fixes the lizard cult. <laughs> Before, you were completely at the mercy of the draw, and now the dominance cards are way more useful than their intended effect. <laughs> this is so wild. Do you think the, the designers were aware of this when they created the lizards? I don't know. That is a great question. It feels like this is like a weird edge case that has now become a main strategy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't yeah. feel they intended ever to have the dominance cards be filtering in and out of play like that, but I love that the cultists make it happen. Yeah. Uh, this also <sighs> makes it uh, a, a good card if the otters are in play for the lizards to buy just to have it mm. in the economy. You know? mm, so interesting, yeah. Because you'd be pitching that as the otters any other day of the week, but... Yeah, maybe the river, uh, maybe the lizards would be super down to buy that. No, for real, dominance cards are way valuable to the lizards. Other than that bird dominance card, get it out of here. <laughs> um, uh, the okay. worst card in the deck, right for them? <laughs> uh, probably. Although I would say, if anyone's going to pull off this bird dominance, lizards might be able to do it. We'll talk about dominance in a sec. Um, all right. So by the mid game, hopefully we've gotten our two gardens and our two clearings. And uh, we that should be easy enough to defend. And if the Lizard God is on our side, we will have the card draw and score four points a turn. Okay? Because that's what it is. You're discarding two cards and getting four points. It feels good, guys, <laughs> to get those big swings of points. Hopefully, some lucky outcast suits have also allowed you to craft some extra points. And we've gotten a few acolytes heading into the big end game. Okay? Once you're fully online, like how many turns would you say it normally would take? Like around like five turns or so to get to like the end? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't mathed out the turns yet, but I do think that as I'm talking here at the end, like the lizards need the game to go just a little longer mm -hmm, than a normal mm -hmm. game. They're never going to win the race, okay? If yeah, there's a slow race, and steady. Yeah, you need to stop that race. <laughs> and you have great tools to do that, but... You, we need to make sure to get a lot of entanglement going. Mm. And kill those kings, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We got uh, Squidmark from the Discord here said, Lizards need to table talk. Ideally, lizards aren't ever the top threat at the board. Pretty easy to do. Uh, so hearing everyone's plans to stop that player is useful. 
And if they need your help and you don't have to give up too much to do it, then that's great. Because with the lizards, it's uh, you're so easy to stop before you get started. But once you get started, nobody wants to stop you because you become stronger if they wait too long, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If they start attacking all your warriors and they are unsuccessful in removing the gardens, now you've got a bunch of fuel to get them with and you're still on. I feel like you also have the, ex- the convenient excuse of telling them, well, I can't really move there and do anything i'm sorry just not my oh, yeah. outcast right now right yeah maybe if you could give me some more acolytes i don't know yeah uh the best lizard games uh squidmark continues are when people are like then you can do this and then craft that or whatever because they don't see you as a threat which is how you will make them pay <laughs> That's true. We need to be the underdog. We need to be winning from behind. And as a result, we need to be involved in all the table talk, even though we're like, oh, yeah, we need to stop them. And they're like, yeah, what can you do? And you're like, oh, I can't do anything. But you guys <laughs> really need to take care of that. Yeah, yeah. because so and I, in the um, Woodland Warriors Winter Tournament finals, the Lizards were in the game and did not participate in any of the activities to stop the leader or kind of in, interact at all mm-hmm. which sounds like is what you're basically advocating as like yeah. the main strategy yeah but they i feel like also got table talked into overextending <laughs> kind of partly because there was there was not like a the the same like kind of engagement like diplomatically i think to, that would have soothed our because we were like itching for the lizards to participate like they were the ones who could reach out and like do this thing so mm-hmm. we had, and ended up being this thing where we were really trying to pressure them into it and i wonder if you know the the table talk approach the diplomacy could have kind of averted that that moment of friction yeah i think that yeah like we said we're good king slayers but we're not good policemen mm-hmm. so yeah, those like little jobs, hitting the vagabond is not something we're going to do. But stopping the moles or the eerie or the woodland alliance is something that we can do. We right. just have to be prepared for what that might cost. So, the table also knows that it's very easy to ruin our day. All right. And so that helps us creep up in numbers and still not be too threatening, kind of like cats, right? You're like, hey, I got 20 points or whatever, but like, as soon as you take out these gardens, my game's done. And they know that. You say your game is done because they're so much harder to put down and they are your main point. Their existence is your point generation, right? Right. Even if you take out one of my two gardens, now I lose a card from my hand. Mm-hmm. I don't gain a card on my next turn. Mm-hmm. And most likely, I can't just get rule of that clearing back. So I have to start the whole project all over again right. somewhere else or maybe here again. So it's brutal. So how many points do we need to win on our last turn? Somewhere between four and eight. Um, yeah, okay, so we can pop an eight-point turn. Yeah, if if we're set up, if we haven't been bopped, then I think it's pretty easy to do eight because we can score for four. If we have acolytes, we can sanctify for one point. But most likely, we'll be able to crusade for several more points as well. Got it. On got top it. of if we can control the outcast, get a craft in at the last turn. So mm-hmm. we do score in like big chunks. So I that is possible. Four is like if we're scraping by. If we probably only have one garden, we can score and stuff like that. So that's any our striking range is anything above twenty-two or twenty-two-ish, right? Uh, what have we saved for a big burst at the end? Acolytes. 
Okay, we can sanctify for points, and we can crusade for easy cardboard. Uh, and I talked about earlier the idea of converting somebody who's defending their cardboard and then attacking the cardboard. This happens a lot with the Woodland Alliance, right? The Woodland Alliance doesn't have too many warriors defending their bases, right? Two, maybe? Two or three? If you can convert, if you hate outcasts, you just convert them all, boom, they attack their own base, you got them, right? That's so exciting. Yeah, I mean... I- I'm just like, I keep staring at the word acolyte and it's transformed into like electrolyte in my head. Mm. So like, these are like electrolytes for getting the lizard's engine, like really going, really juicing them up. (laughs) I've been like meditating for so long and then now they're like spring into action. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just to see this in action, again, this is the last time we will reference Lily G's semifinal victory (laughs) over me in the 2021 Space Cats Beast Turtles Root Tournament. It was awesome. That's why my um, profile picture is a converted bird. Uh, (laughs) All right. So let's talk about dominance. We kind of talked about it in the dominance episode. It's never a good idea to go for dominance, but we have a weird, we have weird superpowers, right? Any clearing we have a garden in, we rule. So it's not enough for a faction to just move in 10 warriors into our clearing and now we don't rule it. They have to battle down all the way down and take away all of our gardens. So that means it's super possible. So I've thought about this, about prioritizing a dominance play. However, if you just focus on that, first of all, you have to get super lucky with all your cards, right? You have to get all of the same suit, essentially, in your hand. Um, But then you can really lay out a bunch of warriors on a turn, which is great. However, we're already slow at scoring when we're trying our hardest. And so (laughs) doing a strategy where we're not even prioritizing scoring means getting to 10 points is going to be like forever. You're so right. You're so right. It's going to be impossible to get to 10 (laughs) points and set yourself up for that thing. Also, like usually if you're at 10 points, you're like, it means you had to build some gardens that you then have to kind of abandon in order right. to like actually be in position. Right. And then like, if they hit those gardens, if you were holding an ambush or something, that's just gone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The gone main now. way of cycling cards out of our hand is to discard them for points, which we will no longer do. Right. Right. And we'll only be drawing two cards a turn. So the other way to influence outcast is to overdraw our hand and then select cards we want in the outcast suit which we won't be doing as much of with only two cards. This is such a deceptive problem because they're the best at ruling a place, right? Like even they're better than the birds because they overrule (laughs) the birds rule with their garden ability. So it's like you would think dominance, they have one of the best shots in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's complex. Like uh, I'm trying to think like if you were to go for dominance, what would you be using those cards for? It'd be just recruiting a recruiting bonanza, right? And building bonanza at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But then you have to score. Yeah, well, you don't have to score. <laughs> you do. You have to score 10 points. You have to get to 10. That is true. Yeah, I know. But I mean, after that, you don't have to. Yeah. That's true. No. But yeah, but you act like that's not like a huge challenge. Uh, I'm, not <laughs> saying, I'm not saying it's not a it's huge like... challenge, but it like it becomes it, the priority ends after 10, essentially. Right. So I'm just trying to think right. if I was that's in that situation, true. what I'm using those cards for, because I can't cycle them out. So it's like, OK, I have these clearings that I know I can start cranking a bunch of warriors into. Yeah, it's definitely got to be a bonanza of recruiting and then trying to like. I guess deny crafting from other people by uh, <laughs> crafting yeah. items for no points. Well, like like, yeah, it's, it's all situational. You gotta hope that somebody also just doesn't have that dominance card in their hand and just keep it in their hand. 
right? That's the easiest way to stop a dominance play is don't give them the card. <laughs> so if the lizards are going dominance, it's corner dominance, right? I would think so, yeah. You're starting corner and then sanctifying the other corner and doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it work. I can see the world where that almost happens. I've just never lived it. Well, I'll Even show close. it to you one of these days, Sam. Don't you worry. Thanks, Jake. That'd be great. <laughs> well, uh, there are plenty of weaknesses to talk about the lizard cult. The first one is losing gardens. We talked sure. about why it's so bad. Yeah. Uh, you're usually losing two gardens at a time, which means we're losing two cards at, our t- at a time. Unlike the mole's price of failure, it doesn't trigger per instance of removal. It triggers every time a garden is removed. Yeah. This is one of the one of the weird weirder timing windows. This is right up there with the vagabond, you know, using exhausting a sword and battling a group of warriors and yeah. somehow removing the first one without gaining points, but yeah. whatever. This is this is that for the lizards. Yeah. This seems like just a direct interpretation of the sentence structure, right? So it's instead of each time a garden is removed, it is when a garden is removed, and that that includes when gardens are removed, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. A card per garden, no matter what. So that means we're getting cleared out of a thing. We're not getting the card draw. We're losing two cards from our turn and have to start the project all over again. And at this point, you guys kind of can feel how much of a mountain that is to climb back from. Okay? Yeah. Sometimes it won't be as bad. Sometimes you just get a really even distribution of cards that you keep drawing and that kind of like throw away third clearing is viable and we lose one of our clearings and then we still have two and we can still score four points and that's great we can kind of recover from that situation but that's just entirely dependent on how equal of a distribution of cards you randomly draw uh well the only way to influence the card draw i think is to conduct a sacred ritual at the very beginning of the game either like light a candle or you know burn some incense or burn a bird provide some kind of sacrifice (laughs) to the dragon god just to tip the scales in your favor yeah eating birds is good if you have like a chicken sandwich right beforehand that should curry some favor chicken curry that sounds good yeah chicken curry does sound good uh another thing we need to watch out for is the uh factions that draw a lot of cards because they have influence over the outcast suit this is particularly scary with the moles. If the moles set up Mole Mart where they put down two markets and they are drawing, you know, three cards at the end of their turn, they can make sure that the outcast is never in the clearings with the marts so that they hold on to them. In my 2020 Space Guts Peace Turtles championship game, I was the river folk, but the lizards were in the game and the moles did this. And we all recognized how dangerous that was going to be, that they were going to be able to wield the lizards or at least throw them off the scent of, of checking them. And as a result, we, we really went after the moles. (laughs) Another thing that is a weakness is we can't move or battle. That has been discussed at length at this point. And we are completely at the mercy of the dragon God for giving us the right card draw at the right time. Is it a weakness that you are dependent on the draw? Everybody's dependent on their card draw to some extent. I guess we're more dependent on everybody's card draw is the truth of us, right? No, I think because our cards dictate our comp- all of our daylight actions, 
we are way more at the mercy of the cards than other players. Cats don't care what cards are in their hand. It might impact how much they're able to overwork or if they have a bird card for an extra action, but they can still do what they were going to do regardless of what cards they drew. And the lizards don't have that luxury. That makes sense. So let's talk about interacting with these factions. Cats, we're going to need to negotiate over critical clearings. Uh, the ones that we're prioritizing, we're just going to give the cats a heads up. This is what we want. If any deal needs to be worked out, let's work it out at the beginning. Because what we don't want is to take three turns investing in a clearing only to realize we're never going to get it. Barring that, not too much interaction with the cats. They are better at recruiting and building than we are. So respect that. <laughs> uh, birds. Uh, birds we and hate lizards the birds. Are, we hate the birds, but we actually kind of have a lot of good, fun interaction with the birds. Uh, like I said, we can help each other with this kind of warrior acolyte thing. I've seen in several games the lizards and the birds work together. For instance, a lizard player can convert a bird in order to make sure that the birds have enough meeples in their supply to recruit, right? So they won't turmoil on recruit. And in exchange, the birds can, like, attack the lizards. In, in, they're like starter lizards that don't even matter to get more acolytes so that they can also impact the game in those ways that you were talking about, Jake. So there can kind of be some fun interaction here. However, birds, especially Commander, can really ruin our day, right? If they come in wreck shop, they can wreck shop pretty good. But also we can wreck their shop by sanctifying, right? Um, so it's best, best to stay friendly until the end of the game. So that... Uh, hmm. Until we need to betray people to win. Class. The <laughs> The the example that you mentioned though of like a lizard converting a bird to make sure they have enough in their supply to recruit seems like a situation where a why would a lizard want to save them from turmoil? They have all of their birds out on the board. What's the what's the what's the situation where a lizard player would want to help the birds in that, right? Right. If the birds are the player that can attack the leader. The, yeah, right. They are the other kingslayer is the only situation. Right. Hmm. I, yeah, and actually, I just feel like it happened in Lily and I's semifinal game, and it also happened in Lily's final game when she was the birds. She might have been able to get herself out of it. I had to negotiate having people keep me from turmoiling myself on recruit uh, because of a charismatic opening. So. If Lily G never played this game, would we have examples to talk about? They're, they're just the best ones. Also, she keeps the data yeah, on the examples. Yeah, that's so nice. It's so true. I love that she keeps the data. Ugh. One-stop shop for all things uh, professionally rude. Make craft game. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, the Woodland Alliance. Ow. Um, this one sucks. This one sucks for everybody. These factions shouldn't be in the same game. You should choose <laughs> one. Um, here's why they suck. Uh, the Woodland Alliance can sympathize our clearing and we can't attack their sympathy unless it lines up with the outcasts and we have the acolytes, all the all the shenanigans. And that means they can just blow us up. And we don't... Those aren't defending warriors. Those warriors were just removed. So we don't even get them as Ooh, acolytes. Because it's in battle and, is what it says? Oh, right, interesting. As defender in battle. So here we go again. Uh, all, all our stuff is removed. We don't even get the acolytes. We will lose two cards from our hand. It's a nightmare, all right? However, we can be a nightmare to them. We can sanctify their buildings real easy. It's a really juicy sanctify because they're going to lose half their officers and all of their matching supporters. 
hopefully we have another couple acolytes to like knock out a couple of their warriors as well. And so, uh, Kyle, you're shaking your head. You know, as the Woodland Alliance, that sucks too. Even losing two warriors is like, you just set me back a full turn. Like yeah. you did nothing, and I had just like I lost a turn. Yeah, <laughs> Kyle got visibly them. sad as that example was being read out. Well, because it's it's like, like these are two insurgent factions that are. Yeah. Basically, they're just, like, hamstringing each other brutally right. yeah. while the other factions in the game are, like, ostensibly, I guess, getting off scot-free in that case. I do think the Woodland Alliance has the upper hand on the Lizards in this interaction, though. I've heard it described fairly equally, and I do think they both hurt each other to the point where they can ruin each other's games. Right. But the Woodland Alliance definitely Always has, has a gun edge. to the Lizards' head because yeah. uh, the Lizards can't really do anything about the sympathy unless they have the outcasts. Right. The lizards have a knife to the throat, and the Woodland Alliance has a gun to their head. And they both can kill each other, but the gun's a little better. <laughs> but the one thing to keep in mind, though, is like the, the weakness of the lizards is the outcast suit. But remember that the Woodland Alliance is spending supporters yep. to spread sympathy and to revolt. So that's going to actually just like... It's like two birds that are like talons locked together and they're just plummeting towards the earth. Like the the Wither Lions is actively drawing the outcast towards the suit of their bases or yes. towards the suit of their, you know, sympathy that they're spreading. So it's like this very it's this weird black hole of mutual destruction. Yeah. <laughs> it you have to get ahead of this if you if you're at the table and these two factions are there you got to table talk you have to be like let's not ruin each other's lives we have to focus on the other two players yeah this is maybe one of the more poisonous forever wars that exists in (laughs) Europe. yeah yeah for sure wouldn't that also be true of just like two insurgent factions duking it out period yeah i mean maybe the one exception is the vagabond right because like hit the vagabond. well yeah the vagabond is (laughs) revolt on the vagabond well speaking of the Mm -hmm. vagabond he's worse than the alliance in our case right uh, i don't know it's not quite as brutal but there's less we can do about them do to mm-hmm. hurt the vagabond mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least we can get revenge on the woodland alliance yeah. right <laughs> every time um, we have a knife to this guy's throat he's already slipped into the forest and we realize it's just a mannequin yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah marcus the cat put it well here he says I think that the Vagabond is the Lizard's kryptonite. They have mm. so many options against the Lizards to which the Lizards don't have many answers. The aid farming strat with the Vagrant is ridiculously good. This is where they're aiding the Lizards cards. I, as a Lizard player, I won't I won't hate it. As uh, is infamy farming with the Arbiter, Harrier, or Thief. And this is so true. Like, all of our clearings have multiple cardboard pieces in it. It's just like... It's just a points bonanza for them. And then once you, like, wipe the lizards from a clearing, like, they're going to have such a hard time getting reestablished that it's, like, kind of game over at that point. Like, yeah, the, the Vagabond just soaks up the points and then moves along, and then you're <laughs> just like, well, I, my game's in shambles, yeah. you know? <laughs> you just took out five lizards and two gardens. Like, it's over. Yeah, and it gets worse because... Strike with the crossbow negates acolytes, as does favoring from the tinker or the adventurer. Uh, Marcus says that I think that the lizard's only hope in these scenarios is that one of the other high-reach red factions decides to slow down the vagabond for you in the early game, and I think that's right. Yeah. That's why you got to hope. One for. other weird kind of thing that I've seen in a few games is that is that the vagabond will actually hide out in lizard country. Mm. 
especially during the like beginning stages of the game, mm-hmm. because they don't care about the gardens. They they move kind of regardless of rule. But other factions tend to not be super present in those clearings. So that you know, the vagabond can find some refuge, some sanctuary in those uh, in those big clearings that you mentioned, those significant clearings. Yeah. So just just something to watch out for. Again, the aid is very handy having an extra card yeah, during your turn. Especially before you have to but, discard him and then you could just like go crazy on your daylight, right? You'd think so, but it can get really out of hand if they become allied. Oh, oh, you, oh, oh yes, yes. You mean in the context of allied. Yeah, that's true, for sure. Yeah. So river folk then, because these are the folks that can Let's actually talk river folk. give you extra cards, right? This is a different game. Yeah. This is the best. Oh, I love playing with the river folk company. They're your best friend. They are someone who can give you an extra card every turn. Okay? It's like those cards we were talking about crafting, only we're spending warriors we weren't going to use anyway. Yeah, suddenly that 25 number becomes a lot more uh, helpful, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Uh, you got extra warriors? Spend them. Get yourself a helpful suited card, especially in the early game. Yeah, the cult has deep pockets. Yeah. I would say buy from them, turn one, get yourself a hand card no matter what. If they put their price to four, I would buy it at four. I don't care. I would. Whoa. Sam. Also, you can, yeah. I mean, it's worth it. On turn one, to have an extra action every turn for the rest of the game going forward, yeah. Great. It's worth it. Also, you can convert otters, and that hurts them pretty significantly. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, unlike the Vagabond, we can do something against the otters if we're feeding them too much, right? All right. Crows. They're almost as bad as the Woodland Alliance um, because it sucks to gamble the cards in order to extort. A lot of people prefer going against the crows because they don't have to waste a battle action that could get ambushed and all this stuff. They all, all they have to do is gamble a card, but cards are everything for us, so even that sucks. And I'm so bad at guessing plots, guys. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I've, I've gotten my guess wrong on the last 10 guesses. Oh, no. I've played with Oh, no. Yeah. Well, my experience with guesses guess. is Kyle always figures mine out. So I know Kyle's good at guessing, <laughs> but uh, I am not particularly yeah. good at guessing either. I feel like there's, there is such a second-guessing mechanic of this game because you're like, well, it makes most sense that they put that token there. But they're the freaking crows. Who knows what they're going to do? <laughs> yeah. Also, extortion sucks. Not Bomb is obviously worst-case scenario, but extortion sucks. Like, we lose a card. That's not good. It only happens once, but it's still not fun. And it can be, like, really hard to fight that token as well. Yeah. Like, that tends to be just, like, a really low-key plot they can just keep around. Right. Um, so, yeah, be careful about early game extortion from the crows, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, one weird interaction with the corvids is that they need, for a, a plot that's face down, they need a corvid warrior next to it, like, in <laughs> right. the same clearing, in order to flip that plot. So sometimes the lizards can be really petty and just convert like one corporate warrior and just like then they can't score. So. Yeah, that's a good thing to keep fun. out now for though is like to make sure not even just pettiness but also to stop crow momentum which can happen. Chromentum. Chromentum. There we go. Uh, let's let's talk about the moles. Yeah. Like I said, I think the biggest interaction here is watching out for market moles where they are overdrawing to influence the outcast suit. But our Sanctify hurts the moles worse than any other faction because we take away their highest suede lord and they lose a random card from their hand. It's good stuff. Yeah, price for failure, is that what that's called? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's such a. This is the ultimate thing. king slay, I think. Yeah, and all the all their best lords are at the top, right? Um, and so this is this is a a a way to end the moles. However, the moles are also one of the factions that have the best time moving and battling and recruiting, like it's nobody's business. So we don't want to make them mad at us before we get set up because yeah, they can they can bust through a stack of yeah wizards, but all no these problem. contingencies yeah, we're sure. talking about are the king slaying motions right so they're gonna be mad at us at this point of the game isn't that fair to say <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah at the end yeah there's no friends at the end of the game all right uh just just a weird little note you cannot convert moles in the burrow yeah that's true that's true so as much as that as fun as that sounds and uh, the lizards. While you're on, while we're on this like little petty rule thing, Kyle, you know the rule where it's like you have to do as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't apply to the lizards' conspiracies. Yes, this is the one notable exception. I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah, perform conspiracies. If literally says in the law of root, if you perform convert or sanctify. Specifically, convert or sanctify. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess crusade is exempt. You must complete the conspiracy. So you must be able to place that garden. Like if you run out of gardens, you can't sanctify in that suit anymore, for example. Right. You couldn't just choose to remove theirs and not place one of yours there, essentially. Exactly. You must complete it. Yeah. Which is funny because like it specifies, which means that like in every other case, <laughs> right, you should be able to just do as much as possible. All right, let's wrap this thing up with the maps, gang. Autumn map. We're already looking at Canada and Cancun, okay? Those are two of our critical clearings. If we start in that mouse with the two slots, ooh, good. Good game. Good game Have we're set we up Have we explained right? what this means, these geographical explanations? Because <laughs> I know we talked about it offline, but I want to make sure this is clear. Kyle named a lot of the clearings on the autumn map and people are running yeah, with the names. Yeah. I thought it was just Texas that was sticking, but this is from the discord. Um, people reference Canada, which is the most Northern clearing on the autumn map that isolated two slot rabbit clearing at the very top. And Cancun is that isolated Fox clearing at the very <laughs> bottom next to the bottom left corner. Um, these are great because they only have two paths. The less we have to defend the better. And they have two building slots in them. So very nice. Those are the two clearings we're looking at. On They're that. very much out in the fringe. And, yeah, and that mouse with the, the two uh, building slots in the top right is also very nice. Right. Um, the one thing about Canada I will say is if the river folk are in the game, that is a clearing on the river. So be careful. Uh, you know, the river folk have easy, mm-hmm. easy access, mm-hmm. whereas most other factions would be, you know, a little out of the way. Right. Uh, yeah. So just know that that top, clearing is going to be a little more accessible perhaps yeah that's a good point yeah overall the theme here is we're trying to find isolation right again we don't want our followers calling home and realizing they're in a cult okay winter map i wrote yeah baby give me that northern strip right the top of the winter map has many isolated clearings with two building slots hopefully there are different suits when the randomization (laughs) comes out uh, so that we can take advantage of both of them because then they guard each mm-hmm. other. It's the best It's the best spot on any of the maps for the lizards is the top part of the winter map, I think. And, I mean, they're just such pretty clearings to, like, establish your compound, you know? Yeah. Because you have the view of the mountains, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's the most What scenic. if they aren't suited? Do you prioritize somewhere else? 
I mean, sorry. What if they yeah. are the same suit? Yeah, you you have to choose one. Yeah, just choose one, and then you have to find something else. So still go north. Yeah, one of them. Saying. You should have one of those because it's good because it's just two paths and it's yeah. two slots. Mm-hmm. So that's the cool. nice thing on the winter map though is you can pick one of the corners, uh, the bottom left or bottom right corner, mm-hmm. and potentially still kind of fly under the radar a little bit because those bottom corners aren't like it doesn't lock anybody out of the board you know what i mean like people can still get around those clearings and kind of move from left to right like you're not absorbing any key choke points like it's nice that they have building slots but there's like triple build slot clearings just you know next door that are going to be way way hotter (laughs) over the course of the game so i think those like bottom left and right corners and then definitely the top two central clearings are at the best yep uh, lake map, another good one for the Lizzies. Um, a crusade across the lake with the fairy is really fun because then I get to draw another card that I get to use immediately. That's fun. Mm. And it's movement, which we like, we don't get to move very often, right? So there's that. Yeah, well, it, you still have to use a crusade to do it. Mm. Um, yeah, but for that to work, you'd, like, you'd need just a lizard in each of the clearings adjacent to the lake and then maybe a garden on the lake as well just so you have somewhere to go. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to lock down the fairy. I think you might just get to use it once or twice (laughs) (laughs) on our way to a clearing that we've chosen. But all the coastal clearings aren't great. It's more of a fantasy of using the fairy. I don't think I've ever used it. (laughs) Yeah. But Um, where where on this map should we be looking for gardens? It's hard. The lake map is not as isolated as you want it to be. Uh, The the coastal clearings can be isolated if the raft kind of gets frozen. But... Uh, I think it's just good to know where you can cut off things with the Pilgrim's ability, right? Ruling clearings with our gardens can really cut this map in half. Yeah, I feel like the clearing that's um, bottom right, uh, the one right above the bottom right clearing, yes, has two building slots and just like just snips the board in two. Yeah, I think it's that... not on the lake, but it it just makes traversing from north to south really really hard. Yeah, I think you got to make sure that you're not making people too upset with cutting off the map, right? If the birds, like, actually need to go there, then they're going to attack you, right? So you don't want that. But I think you're right, Kyle. That's the clearing eye kind of eye every time as well. Also, the top left corner Mm. is pretty decent as well, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's three pads, if my memory's right. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where you don't cut off the map, so you can kind of be left alone as well. Do you get two building slots up there? It's just one. All right. It's just one. Yeah. Always a pro and a con. <laughs> yeah. So bottom right corner, uh, the there is one kind of a, adjacent to the top right corner that has mm-hmm. two building slots. Yeah. If the cats are in the game, I feel like the keep tends to live in the top right corner, so that they're going to be a little sensitive about right. that. But if the cats are not in the game, like maybe aiming for that would be okay. Yeah. But there's a lot of singles, a lot of single build slots. Yeah. Lake map is is a little tough, Um, but not as tough as the mountain map. Now, the mountain map seems really good. All the corners have two slots, right? So there we go. We already have one of our critical clearings, so this should be our map, right? No, we don't ever want to use the pass. That's too much heat. We're going to get our gardens destroyed. Now, maybe using it as a late-game ploy to like sanctify something to get a point, and then at the end of the turn, we're also going to get a point. I could see it maybe being a late-game gambit, but probably not. 
Uh, also, uncovering covered paths requires us to discard a card, mm-hmm. something we don't want to do. Uh, so it just means that other people have more ways of making points on the mountain map, and we can't really participate in those as well. Also, everyone discarding cards to uncover paths means they're going to help influence our outcast suit more than we would like them to. So the mountain map is not our best. I would say the worst. Final thoughts. Lizards, as Kyle said in a previous episode, are the doofy underdog of Root. (laughs) However, they have great game-changing powers to negotiate with. This makes them extremely fun to play and rewarding to win as. I think that's why so many people uh, have them as their favorite faction. I'd just say, to may the dragon god be kind to your card draw, your clearing suit distribution, <laughs> and the outcast suit. Otherwise, you might, like a real doomsday cult, look a little silly when nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you just got to start your game with a actual sacrifice to the dragon god in your real life. <laughs> Light that candle. Eat that the bird. reason they are considered doofy is really because of the one lizard cultist on the top left of the board, right? Like, first off, too many of them have No, their... it's their meeples. Right, but that's the same look. Is the same that same style, right? All their meeples look like that. <laughs> they just look like they're grinning with those big eyes. Right, well, it's the big eyes. Yeah. It's the big vacant stare. It's the tongue lolling out of the side. That doesn't just scream intelligent yeah. person, right? And right. obviously they've been brainwashed because they fully – even their name is We Are a Cult. You know, so like, yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah. Also, them being doofy, I think, has to do with the fact they can't even move in battle. It just feels like they're like, help me! I don't have any points. <laughs> it's like they just show up and you're clearing, and you're like, so what's your deal? And they just go, <laughs> <laughs> Lily. Lily always, whenever she'd pop a a lizard in a clearing, she'd always go, hello. <laughs> and so that's how I picture the lizards talking now. Oh, hi. Hi. Hello. Uh, all right. We have some people to thank. Uh, I want to give a big thank you to Garrick Samples, Justin K, Marcus the Couch, Crewmeister, shouts out to Nebuchadnezzar, Squidmark, and Nitro Rev. If you guys want to join in on the conversation, please come to the Good Time Society Discord under the Woodland War Machine channel. Uh, also, we have roles there now. So you can, uh, there's a roles page. You choose your role so that we can ping you when we're asking questions for future episodes or streaming. I did my first Twitch stream this last week. Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> I might do more of it later. You will. You uh, should. It was fun. It was fun. And also, I just want to say, like, I kind of want Woodland War Machine to have the most people that have clicked on the role of anyone on the good time society discord. So get on it gang. That's my challenge to you guys is to be the most popular role on the, on the good time society. Discord. Ooh, I love that. But again, if you do believe that you are in a cult, please call your family. <laughs> yeah. Call your family. <laughs> also sacrifice to the dragon God on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. Gonna have to eat that chicken. <laughs> Ah, this is a great episode. I actually feel like a lot more confident about my lizards play because before I was just like, I I just don't even like know how to start. But this is this is so good. You've you've given such like concrete tips for how to get in a good position. Is the meta of this that they are quote unquote the worst right now? No, crows are the worst. Crows are considered the worst. Yeah, that's yeah. the current meta. Great. I would say yeah, lizards are underdogs though. So yeah, they used to be the worst. 
Even when the crows first came out, the, the thinking was that the lizards were the worst. But What has changed? Uh, once competitive play kind of got going, crows, you can stop their plots if everyone decides to guess. Yes, yeah. There's only four options, and if people have that many cards, then we can 100% know that we will remove that plot and they will And you're going to get it in less than four anyway, statistically speaking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Especially if they have enough stuff on the board to where you can, like, reasonably eliminate some possibilities. Mm -hmm. Right. Great episode. Love learning about the lizards. Let's end this podcast like we do all of our podcasts, but in a lizard cult way, which is where we would say it like, game effect doesn't have a name like it does with other people like what's the one when the moles lose it it's like a uh, price of failure it does failure. have a name jake it is it called does? fear of the faithful oh i was gonna say it's facing reality that's <laughs> <laughs> that made kyle choke that was funny um <laughs> take your time kyle don't choke <laughs>